0: All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles, open to uh, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. We are continuing our biblical formation course this morning. If you've been with us at all over the last handful of weeks, uh, I hope you've been encouraged and I hope you've been uh, challenged and built up by the word of God. Has anybody been any one of those things over the last handful of weeks? Genesis chapter 1, uh, the astute observer will note we are now going backwards. We had made it all the way to Genesis 3, and now we're going backwards, but that's okay. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, so you're going to want something to take notes with. Um, Just, you're going to want that. we got a lot to cover today. All right, so I'm going to start by reading. So uh, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26. We're going to read a couple of verses this morning. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Uh, so we are. In our third section of four sections on biblical formation, maybe by this time you're getting the rhythm of how it is that we're doing this. We we are in section three. We've covered the universe. We've covered humanity, and now we are talking about being biblically formed in our understanding, perspective, and response to brokenness. Brokenness. Last week uh, we talked about suffering, and that was fun. That was right after the week we talked about sin. So we're on a roll these last couple of weeks. So we are continuing our brokenness section with part two of this third section. And um, like I've been saying, our goal isn't to be exhaustive in our explanation of brokenness in our world or even the specific topics that we hit on. The goal of these weeks is to uh, not so much talk about the world as it is to talk about what the Bible says. And as we talk about what the Bible says, hopefully we can be uh, set on the right track to build our lives as we engage the brokenness of the world that we live in. So we are shooting for um, a biblically formed understanding of brokenness, a biblically formed perspective of brokenness, and a biblically formed response to some of the brokenness that we experience in our lives and in our world. Last week, like I said, we talked about suffering and how do we approach that uh, according to how the Bible forms the way that we see that. This week, uh, we are going to talk about sex, gender, and sexuality. Why not? Um, This is a few things that um, might make some people uncomfortable, especially in church. I know two weeks ago, you didn't come ready to hear about sin. Last week, you did not come ready to hear about suffering, and this week, you for sure did not come ready to hear me talk about this. But um, we're going to talk about it. And I think that most people think that God doesn't really want to talk about sex or gender or sexuality because it's, it's all kind of scandalous and uh, you know, carnal and sort of like dirty maybe. But the truth is that God has a lot to say about sex, gender, and sexuality, and this isn't scandalous, it isn't carnal, and it isn't dirty at all. It's actually all very glorious and holy, according to God. And God wants to talk about all of this. He wants us to talk about this, and to be honest, God actually probably wants to talk about all this a lot more than you do, and he definitely wants to talk, it, talk about it a lot more than our world wants him to talk about it. God has a lot to say, and I'm excited to dive into what some of what he has to say is. And as we get started this morning, uh, we're just going to dive right in head first. So we're going to need to start by clarifying some definitions so that we are all understanding. Um, You know, sometimes you can be in a conversation and you feel like you're not on the same page with somebody only to find out that you've been using the same word as somebody, but you meant different things. Been there, done that. So my goal is let's try to set some definitions here uh, on what do we mean when we talk about uh, as we begin this morning. So sex, when I use the word sex, that means two things. The state of being male or female. That's a little dictionary definition for you. Deep, right? The state of being male or female. It's the biological makeup as a male or a female based on chromosomes and genitalia. The second thing is it's also the act of sexual activity. So sex, we mean biological, male male and female, but it can also refer to activity. Gender is behavioral, cultural, or psychological traits typically associated with one's sex. So not just male or female, but if you think maybe also in terms of masculine feminine. So it's very similar to sex. They can somewhat be um, interchangeable words but uh, they are slightly different from each other. So we have sex and gender. So gender being kind of more focusing on the masculine, feminine traits and expression of, se- of uh, biological sex. And then third, sexuality, would be encompassing sexual feelings, sexual activities, preferences, all of that. And I know you're now super comfortable. As we approach the Bible, um, We're going to learn that God outlines what sex is, what gender is, and what sexuality is, what the purpose of sex is, and how to experience the best sex and best life possible regarding sex, gender, and sexuality. So you should be ready to come to the Bible coached on how to have the best life that you possibly can. The best sex life you possibly can have is found through following the Bible. (laughs) I <laughs> got one amen. This is one of those messages like, you don't know if you're allowed to say, like, that's good, or like, should I just stay quiet? I for sure am not going to look around at all and make eye contact with anybody. As we approach the Bible, we're also going to understand that, uh, you should also understand that you're going to find loads of stories and examples of all of these things being uh, terribly misused and misunderstood, And we're going to see and we're going to learn in the Bible, we're going to see the personal cost of doing doing these things wrong. And we're going to see the general cost to humanity when these things are abused and seen inappropriately and inaccurately. My point is, as we approach the Bible, we need to know that God is not plugging his ears as soon as I start talking about sex in church. And he's not plugging his ears as soon as you think about or talk about sex, gender, or sexuality in your life. He isn't clueless about what you think, what you feel, or what you desire sexually, and he isn't shocked by anything happening in the world or in your life. He is well aware of what's going on, and he has a lot to say in order to lead us in the right direction. The fuel, I believe, for our culture's brokenness when it comes to sex, gender, and sexuality is... Our rejection of God's answer to the question that each one of us carries Who am I? Who am I? God has great answers to this question. God wants to give you the best answer to this question, but often we refuse it, and this leads to so much brokenness. This question, who am I, is a great question, and biblically formed people, as we have talked about already, as biblically formed people, we believe that God has the right answer to this question, and we talked about this broadly a few weeks ago uh, when we discussed in our humanity section of biblical formation uh, our message, what does it mean to be human? So if you haven't been with us. You might want to go back this week because we're kind of building as we go along over these 12 weeks. So we talked about this question, who am I, a few weeks ago broadly when we discussed the question, what does it mean to be human? This morning, we're not going to focus on what our world says or does regarding sex, gender, and sexuality. We're going to focus just on what God says. And the goal is that we all leave here this morning with a more biblically formed understanding and perspective on sex, gender, and sexuality. And we know how to have a more biblically formed response to the brokenness that we see and experience in our lives and in our world. In preparing for specifically these brokenness messages, I got very intimidated very quickly because there is no end to the unique and nuanced situations that each one of us face currently or are going to face or the relationships that we're navigating these things. And do you understand what I'm saying? And, and I got intimidated thinking, how do we cover every single one of those situations? And then I realized very quickly, we don't. I don't. I don't. Maybe you could do it. I can't do it. I, I'm the, my goal is not to go through every nuanced thing. I'm, I'm instead of wanting to look at the brokenness, let's look at what God says is whole, and that will equip us then to navigate this as we go forward. Is that making sense to anybody? Amen. Okay, so let's start with um, a biblically formed understanding. A biblically formed understanding of sex, gender, and sexuality. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to make that like a heading. Bold. Mine's all caps in my notebook. Biblically formed understanding of sex, gender, and sexuality. As Christians, we believe that God made everything. And all the Christians said, yeah, we do. (laughs) As creator... God is authoritative on who we are and what we are supposed to be and do and think. This stands in radical opposition to our postmodern and post-Christian culture that we discussed back in January. Our authority as Christians is not feelings, or self, or what sounds good, or what culture says is best for me, or best for humanity, God is the authority. He expresses his design as creator through scripture to us, and we are supposed to live our life according to his design, and that will lead us to be the happiest and most satisfied we can possibly be, both in this life and in the next. This is not a life without suffering, per last week. This life is a life of following and submitting to the direction of Jesus, who brings abundant life. So the Bible teaches that male and female are the only two sexes that God created. We see this in Genesis chapter 1. She's like, I'm trying to shout you down, Dad. Mom's taking me. (laughs) My wife's incredible. Somebody give a shout to Heather. Just amazing. She's amazing. Like, seriously. I would be, anyways, okay. Where was I? This is why I have notes. (laughs) The Bible teaches that male and female are the only two sexes that God created. And we see this in Genesis 1 that we read this morning. In Genesis 2, uh, we'll get there. Uh, actually, we'll read it. Flip, flip your page to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. We see that uh, so male and female are the only two sexes God created. And Genesis 2 tells us that each sex is made for one another. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Uh, We'll stick at 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So sex is binary. It is from God. It is defined. And this proper understanding is foundational to proper personal identity, proper personal living, but also proper personal cultural existence and societal health. Your sex is is intended. It is also indicative. Your sex is intended, and it is also indicative of your purposed expression of the other two things we're talking about. Of your, it, is, it is indicative of your purposed expression of your gender and your sexuality. If God made you as a male, then regarding your gender, he designed you to be masculine And regarding your sexuality, he designed you for female. If God made you female, then regarding your gender, he designed you to be feminine. And regarding your sexuality, he designed you for male. This given biological sex of male and female in Genesis 1 and 2 determined the gender roles that men and women would take. In Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. Not a lot of ways to do that. There's only one. You got to have a male and a female have sex. And each gender has a specific and unique role and expression in sex and procreation. In Genesis 1, you become, you, you, you be fruitful and multiply, and you become a father or a mother. In Genesis 2, you become a husband or a wife. Men become husbands and fathers. These are examples of two distinct gender roles attached specifically to biological males. Women become wives and mothers. These are examples of two specific and distinct gender roles attached only to biological females. So the Bible forms in us an understanding that biological sex determines gender and certain gender roles. So, biblically formed, a biblically formed understanding of sex holds that there are two different and equal sexes, male and female, that God has intentionally designed and he intentionally gives to individuals and a person's God-intended sex is evidenced by his or her biology. To put it another way, a biblically formed understanding of sex holds that there are two different and equal sexes, male and female, designed by God, given by God, and if you want to know which sex God intended for you, go back to the garden, get naked. Look in the mirror and don't be ashamed of what you see because he's not ashamed of how he made you. A biblically formed understanding of gender holds that there are two genders, male and female, masculine and feminine, that God has intentionally designed and intentionally gives to individuals and a person's God-intended gender is evidenced by his or her God-given sex. With something that is so culturally defined and so culturally fluid, like, like gender and gender expression and gender roles, How do we know what biblically formed gender expression is? This is where so many things can feel like they get so complicated. Am I right? So how do we do this? Where's the Bible verse that says it? That outlines for all societies and all of times... What is the masculine gender expression? What is the feminine gender expression? Where's the list? How many of them do I have to express? And on what scale do I have to express them so I can know I am doing it right? Am I the only one who's thought this? Asked this, wondered this, wanted that list. Well, starting in Genesis 1 and going throughout the whole Bible, um, I believe that though there isn't necessarily one verse with one list with a clearly defined scale that outlines for us exactly specifically clearly for us 2021 Americans what the biblical definition of masculinity and biblical expression of masculinity is the biblical definition and the biblical expression of what femininity is i do believe that the god that god through his word does make clear to us what he intends At its foundation, what he intends for masculinity and femininity. I believe that we can define biblically formed masculinity as this. Biblically formed masculinity is sacrificing yourself to create an environment for everyone else to thrive. This is what God calls men to do. Biblically formed masculinity is sacrificing yourself to create an environment for everyone else to thrive. We look at Adam from the beginning. His role was to oversee and expand the garden. He was chastised after he and Eve fall for following his wife and not protecting her, not standing up against temptation. And not staying fixed on the word of God and making sure that the environment he was in also stayed fixed on the word of God. This is a common thread that as you read the Bible from Genesis 3 on, this is a common thread that you will see men called to all through scripture. When God raises up a man, this is what he's calling him to do. In all the different nuances, and all the different circumstances, and all the different contexts, this is the common thread that God is asking and, and demanding of men. There is the common thread for, that God is looking for masculine men who will sacrifice themselves to create an environment for everyone else to thrive. Being a husband is about serving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus demonstrates and leads the way in masculinity, men, when he got up on a cross and died for you. And he calls you to do the same. And he says to express this in marriage as a husband, to serve your wife in the same way that Christ loves his church And then, just in case we were confused about what that looked like, again, it looked like him dying and giving himself up for her. Being a father, the Bible outlines for us being a father is about setting up your children to thrive in the ways of God. That is your role. Set your children up in an environment where they can thrive in the things of God. Being a man is not about making a name for yourself. Being a man is serving to create and protect environments where others can be who God has called them to be. This is what being a man looks like in the Bible. Ephesians 5:33 it says, "Let the wife see that she respects her husband." Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men As a man, you are hungering for respect. If you hadn't had words for it before, that's going to start explaining some things you've felt and seen and wrestled for. It's going to explain some of the fire behind some of the things that you do, some of the emptiness behind some of the things you don't experience. You have a deep hunger in you to be respected. But men, you need to hear this. Respect is not free. Respect is not owed to you. Respect is not your right just because you're a man who wants to be respected. If you want to be a man who is respected, be a man who is respectable. That's what God is calling you to. Be a man who is respectable. Live a respectable life, men. Use your strength. To make others great. Men, our world is starving for respectable men. Other men are looking for respectable men, women are looking for respectable men. Little boys are looking for respectable men. Little girls are looking for respectable men. Give the world something to respect you for. Go for it. Just go for it. Think of something and go for it. Give the world around you something to respect you for. Be a warrior against the cultural momentum that is trying to castrate your steadfastness your purity, your resolve, your vision, your integrity, your motivation, your service, your giving, your sacrifice, your joy. Be a warrior against it. You are a man. You don't have time to waste living for yourself. God's calls you to weigh too much. Show the world what a respectable man looks like and you will change that world. You should be shouting. Church, listen to me. Church, listen to me. We've all got a role in this, and that's why it's exciting. When a man is respectable, let this be a house where he knows he is respected. Let the house of God be a house where boys and men are celebrated for being respectable. Men have a need to be respected. They have a calling to be respectable. And we cannot be a house where respectable men go uncelebrated. That need has to be addressed. It has to be encouraged. It has to be fueled. It has to be called out. And we all must partner together to celebrate when we see something respectable in a man. And in little boys. We need to celebrate them when they stand. Say something about it. Celebrate it. We need to celebrate it when they give, when they give of themselves, when they sacrifice of themselves. They must be celebrated. We must celebrate them when they fight for righteousness. They need to be celebrated. They need to be encouraged. They need to be spurred on. They need to be celebrated when they protect you, when they protect something, when they give themselves for protection. They must be celebrated in the house of God. Wives, I'm telling you, if you want to fire up your man, he would rather have a list of seven things you respect about him than a hundred things you love about him. If you give him a list of a hundred things you love about him, he will tune out by the time he gets to number five. He will be thankful, he will appreciate it, and he will not read the whole thing. If you give him a list of seven things you respect him for, he will keep it and he'll read it when he's by himself the next morning before the sun comes up and he will want to be more of that man. Respected men must first be respectable and a man who is respectable must know that he is respected. Men, you are called and created to demonstrate the masculine parts of God that he demonstrated to us when he gives himself for the sake of others. Biblically formed femininity is serving to nurture growth and life in others. Biblical femininity is serving to nurture growth and life in others. Genesis 3.20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. We see here in Genesis 3 and throughout the rest of Scripture, another common thread. We saw a common thread for what God is calling men to, and we see a common thread of what God is calling women to. Women are called to serve and nurture growth and life in others. We talked a couple weeks ago about Genesis 2 and the Hebrew word "azer" that is used, that is translated in our English language, a helpmate. Y'all remember that conversation a few weeks ago? If you missed it, I wanna encourage you to go back to, uh, what was that, week two of humanity, a message called Let's Talk About You. If you haven't heard it, you have to hear it to understand what I'm saying here. So go back and listen to it some more. So we talked about the Hebrew word "azer." when God described what he was going to create when he created woman. And as we discussed, to underscore it again, this is no weak thing. This is no weak thing at all. Women, you uniquely image the help of God to humanity. Your femininity is not at all weak. It is the unique power of God to enable humanity to be all that humanity has called humanity to be. Being a wife is about submitting to your husband in order to drive him towards the things of God. Being a mother is about cultivating in your children what God has put in them for his glory. Being a woman is is serving people to nurture the growth and the life that God has called them to. There are things that you see women that nobody else can see. And God has built that into you. There is a unique, God-given, God-imaging ability that you have to mobilize the best of other people. To mobilize the best of circumstances, to mobilize the best of situations, to mobilize the most out of others. Ephesians 5.33 says, let each one of you love your wife as himself. Women, you are hungering to be loved sacrificially. Just like for the men and their hunger for respect, that might put language to some things, although you probably have known that because you are really good at getting really clear language for how you feel and what you need and what's going on in there. Men are like, oh, that's right, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we know. (laughs) You are hungering. You are hungering to be loved sacrificially. Not just loved, but to be loved sacrificially. You long for it. You are hungry. You are built for that. And you need to hear me. You are loved sacrificially, whether you're married or not. I'm not not talking just the marriage thing. I'm talking you are loved sacrificially. God has given him his whole self for you and to you. He has given himself for you and to you, and he has done so at the cost of himself. So listen to me carefully, women. You are loved. You are loved more than you could ever imagine, but you aren't just called to be loved. You are called to be lovely. Men, you must be respectable. Women, you are called to be lovely. You are called to be the reflection of the strengthening, empowering love of God that brings the most out of people and situations. You aren't only made to receive this love, you are made to image it. You are loved, and when you boldly nurture the most out of someone, when you passionately help others succeed, when you don't settle for mediocrity because you believe and you see there is something more in this person, there is something more in this situation, when you serve to help others see the goodness of God, you are not just loved, you are lovely like only you can be lovely. You image the love of God like only you can. And we need it. Church, we've got a role in this. The house of God must be a house where women are protected and empowered to image the love of God and for them to be celebrated when they do. I mean, come on, man. We already know what the Bible is telling us is true, Right? Women just by design make everything better. And just do, like you walk walking in the room and it's like, oh, thank you. That's God. That is the image of God walking through that door. I mean, really, like we've all, we've all experienced this. We know this. We know this is true. There is something that God has put in women. There is something about feminine that just... It just shows you something about God that you can never find anywhere else. We, we all know, I mean, just a shout if you've ever had a woman step into your life and embody for you the help of God. It was your wife, it was your mother, it was your sister, it was that best friend, it was your grandma. They did something that nobody else could ever show you and it's because she was the woman that she was. So, church, when a woman makes, your, makes you better, and makes your life better by being the woman that she is. When who she is grows you, just because she is who she is, make sure she knows it. Make sure she knows it. Women, you are created and called to demonstrate the feminine parts of God that he demonstrates to us when he nurtures and grows, when he nurtures growth and life like only he can. A biblically formed understanding of sexuality flows from the biblical understanding of sex and gender that we've talked about already. And a biblically formed understanding of sexuality holds that sexuality as an expression of these things that we've talked about is a gift from God designed to be experienced in the context of covenant marriage between one man and one woman as a unifying of two persons into one flesh as a profound mystery of Christ and the church, and as a taste of and a signpost towards perfect intimacy with God through his unconditional love. God's got a great plan for your sex life. You just read that. So what we've discussed so far lays our foundation for a biblically formed understanding of sex, gender, and sexuality. Now let's discuss a perfectly formed perspective, a biblically formed perspective of sex, gender, and sexuality, and a perspective of some of the brokenness that we experience. In Genesis 1, 26-28 that we read, <clears throat> God creates humanity, He creates the male and female, and then He commissions His creation to fill the earth, take dominion over it, steward it, cultivate His creation to demonstrate His kingdom. Since two people can't cover the whole earth, he starts by saying, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply, which as we said, means have sex, make babies like only a male and a female can. So sex is a foundational part of God's plan for the earth to be covered in his glory and for all nations to know him. Which means sex is not just a bodily function that has to control your life and define your identity. It is a gift from God and it is part of his plans, In Genesis 2, God tells us more on this, like we read already in Genesis 2, 24. Sex doesn't only have the purpose of making babies, praise God. Okay, fine, I'll be the one who says it out loud. (laughs) Here, God outlines marriage. One man and one woman in a lifelong covenant together. And the way that the covenant is confirmed and consummated and sealed is through sex. God gave man and woman sex in the context of marriage so that one man and one woman could become one flesh. Therefore, we learn and have this perspective that sex isn't just pleasurable like the world tells us is, it is also powerful. Which is the opposite of what your world is telling you. Sex is the complete opposite of it doesn't matter. It is the complete opposite of no big deal. It is the complete opposite of so what. All right. Sex is so much more than just feeling good and fulfilling a biological urge. Sex is a spiritual and physical and mental act of becoming one with another human being, which sounds so much better than not that. I'll just say it. Not only that, not only is it pleasurable and powerful, not only do you become one, but Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Is this sounding familiar to Genesis, anybody? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Sex isn't just pleasurable it's powerful and it's a mystery and a metaphor. God designed sex to be a revelation of the gospel. Like I don't know if you're allowed to say that in church. We're getting way we're 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 getting the Bible way too much into the bedroom here. I'm not I don't I don't need to be thinking about that. No 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 no, you do need to be thinking about that. You need to be thinking about that. You need to understand this. Sex in all of its awesomeness is a metaphor and a mystery. It is a revelation of the gospel, which is why it matters. When you experience it in its God given context and glory, you are experiencing a metaphor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you have sex in the context of marriage, and when you don't have sex outside the context of marriage, you are a living example of how God loves his people and how he is committed to holy intimacy with his church. That should just get you pumped to be pure. You are a walking revelation of the gospel of Jesus. All right, maybe I'll just preach that separate message next week. (laughs) A human's desire for sex isn't just physical and biological. Sex is an experience of your entire being. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you are hardwired for intimacy, for holy, devoted, and pure relationship with God. And God has given sex in the context of marriage as an example of the mysterious way that he wants to be in holy, devoted, and pure relationship with his people. The sexual ethic of our culture goes exactly in the opposite direction of this Christian perspective, Our culture tells us that the highest fulfillment in life is to find your sexual fulfillment. It's your body, it's your life, do what you want. This is the logical progression of individualism that we discussed earlier in this year. But individualism is the foundation of this self-centered worldview that we are aiming to repent from and a self-centered faith that we are aiming to be reformed from. It is not something that we can hold by our side as we repent and reform. It must be left completely behind. Individualism tells you that the more you get away from family tradition and the boxing in of societal norms, the more you find yourself. And what could be better than finding yourself? The more you are alone and out from society's expectation of you, the more you will find your true self. But Christianity says exactly the opposite. And as a Christian, therefore, you say exactly the opposite. You find yourself within relationships with God and with others, and you discover who you are, not in yourself, but you discover who you are as a gift from God. The more you isolate, the less you can live out your humanity. Spiritual maturity does not happen outside of relationships in your life. The worst thing you can do, according to individualism, is deny yourself and your deepest desires. These are my desires. I must fulfill them. And if I don't, I'm going to have psychiatric problems. I am not who God says I am. I am who I feel I am. Christianity, on the other hand, says that the new you is the true you. I said Christianity, on the other hand, says that the new you is the true you. The you that is most like Jesus is the most you. The more you are like Jesus and follow the will of God as patterned in Scripture, the more you are truly you to build on what we've been discussing over these last few weeks. You are the most you when you long for God and reflect his image. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Is that sounding familiar? But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. You must understand that you were bought with a price. Your self that you are searching for does not belong to you. It has been purchased and purchased at a price. You are to glorify God with the self that he gave you and the self that he purchased back for himself from the bondage of sin by paying that price with himself. A culturally formed perspective on sex, gender, and sexuality holds that sex, gender, and sexuality are from self, for self, and unto self. A biblically formed perspective on sex, gender, and sexuality holds that sex, gender, and sexuality are from God, for God, and unto God. Now, how about a biblically formed response to brokenness? The brokenness that we see and experience in our lives and in our world. First, I must be clear and define what I mean when I say brokenness regarding sex, gender, and sexuality. Brokenness is any understanding, perspective, or action regarding sex, gender, or sexuality that goes against the biblical understanding or perspective of sex, gender, and sexuality. Anything that denies the differences of the biological sexes, anything that disassociates sex and gender in order to make them either non-binary and or fluid, any sexual activity outside of one man and one woman in covenant marriage. That's what I mean when I say brokenness. You might be realizing we all are on this level playing field. But we must understand, church, that we may be fallen and broken, but we cannot forget that we are still designed. Christians are not people who have no sexual sin or no struggle. Christians are people who recognize God's authority as creator, submit to his authority as God and creator, and live a life that moves towards his design. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Amen. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. How do we respond to the brokenness in our lives and in our world? We must respond by being uncompromisingly holy. You are not called to be right. You are called to be holy. We must be a holy people. Holiness isn't a a behavior. It's an identity. God is holy. Holiness is not something God does. Holiness is who God is. He is completely set apart and other from anything and everything else. And now we have been purchased by him, born again through him, and belong to him. You have been made holy. You have not been made better. You have not been made right. You have been made holy. And you are called to respond to the brokenness in your life by living holy, by living set apart, by not living joined to this world, but living belonging to another. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are not called to impurity, but to holiness, church. We are called to live in this world as citizens of another world. This isn't simply purity, although it is that. Purity is the way you live. Holy is who you are. A biblically formed response to brokenness regarding sex, gender, and sexuality is to give our lives to live as the Bible tells us to live. Which leads us into the complicated question of how do we respond to the people in the world around us? How do we vote? How do we argue? How do we post on Instagram and Facebook? I don't know. But what I do know is that the church is called to be the witness to the world, not the judge of the world. Your job is not to be liked, not to be understood, not to fit in, not to not offend anyone. Your job is to be holy. You aren't responsible for how anyone else does or doesn't respond to the word of God. You just live the word of God. You live the word of God and you speak truth because it is the truth that will set people free. And no one is accountable to you. I said, no one is accountable to you. And we all said, no one is accountable to me, which means you don't need to try to be anyone's judge. You just get to be free to live holy and love others. Your job is to be a witness to Jesus. Your job is to live holy. Your job is to love Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your job is to raise up your children in the way they should go. Your job is to love your neighbor. Your job is to be a man. Your job is to be a woman. Your job is to pray for those far from Jesus. Your job is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In all of its weakness, in all of its fallenness, in all of your temptations, in all of your struggle, offer that to God. It is a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. It is your spiritual act of worship. That is your job. Be holy. I want to encourage you to be consumed with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Be holy and live as a testimony to the world that God is good. And he's calling all people to himself. There is no other way to be the light of the world or to be a city on a hill but to burn with the fire of God. Stop trying to dance around it all and burn. Just live holy. Live holy. Live holy. Live holy. Live holy. Love Jesus. Be a witness. Judge no one. Live holy and burn. And when you are weak, Let's commit, this, let's commit to do this together. If you are struggling with whatever, pornography, same-sex attraction, confusion, hookups, don't know how to possibly make it to marriage without doing this with her, abuse, fear, temptation, addiction, whatever it is, let's do this together. You're not alone. You're not the only one. You're not weird. Look around. It's completely normal. That list of stuff that makes you feel alone, it's the most normal thing in our lives. Is it not? It's why I have to say such simple things like I've had to say today. (laughs) Because it is the most normal thing in our lives to struggle with all of these things. You are not weird if you are struggling with these things. Just don't keep it to yourself. Say it. Confess it. To the Lord, confess it to somebody in your life, in this church, and let's pursue holiness and live holy together. Let's do this together. We are in this together, but you've got to go first and confess. Don't live in your head and let the devil tell you no one will understand. Just just let it out. Give the people that love you a shot. Give them a shot to love you. Give them a shot to stand with you. Open yourself up to God. Open yourself up to his people. How do we respond You cannot compromise. You cannot compromise these convictions because you cannot compromise your witness. You cannot compromise. You cannot judge because you cannot compromise your witness. You cannot hate because you cannot compromise your witness. You cannot be fearful because you cannot compromise your witness. How do we respond? Live as a witness to Jesus. Be holy and burn. Because I can't go through all the unique circumstances of every situation that you're facing or that you're going to face. All that I can do is tell you who you are and tell you what you're called to and charge you to be faithful to that for the glory of God and for the freedom of a world who needs it. We must give our lives to be witnesses who see the goodness of God and testify to his glory in the way that we live. I want you to go ahead and stand as we close our time together. I'm just gonna pray for us. And uh, after, yeah, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're just gonna have the band play some music and you'll be dismissed, but we're gonna have a prayer team come on up. So if you're on a prayer team, come on up. And you, excuse me. We may not sing a whole song, but you can still come get the prayer that you need before you leave. Does that sound good to everybody? I'm gonna pray for us and uh, just pray that we respond and we be a people who move forward. I wanna reiterate, a Christian is not someone who is perfect and doesn't struggle. A A Christian is somebody who has submitted to God and said, I'm committed to moving forward in the direction of his design. Every single one of us has a step forward to take today. Every single one of us has a step forward to take in a biblically formed understanding and letting the Bible shape our perspective and in letting the word of God shape our response. Every single one of us has a step that we can take forward today. I'm gonna pray for us as we close that we wouldn't, um, frankly, that we wouldn't be lazy and that we wouldn't be proud, but that we would be sacrificial, that we would be nurturing of the world that we're living in. That we be men and women of God who lay ourselves down so that other can, others can see Jesus. And I also want to pray if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you know that you have sin and you know you can't do anything about it. I want you to know the invitation is open today for you to come to Jesus. Every single one of us, as the Bible tells us, is made to be in relationship with Him. Every single one of us has sinned and rebelled against that, rejected that, and turned. And it is only in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we can receive a life of being born again. Jesus says, you can be born again, not by anything you do, but by just having faith. I'm I'm gonna give you grace. I'm gonna pour out grace on your life I'm gonna let you be made completely new. The old is gonna pass away, the new is gonna come and I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit which is my adoption of you as a child of mine so that you can live in my purposes now in this life and for all of eternity. Sounds like a good trade if you ask me. And if you've never made that decision, make that decision now. You don't have to know all the answers, you just have to be willing to lay your life down. So let's pray together, bow your head with me. For those of you who may need to give your life to Jesus or you've been far from Him or holding back from Him, you can pray maybe a prayer like this out loud or in your heart. Jesus, I love you and I want to follow you. So I'm coming. I'm coming to give you my life right now. And I I need your grace. I need to be made new. I need to be received. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I need to follow you. Would you forgive me? and make me new. And Lord, for all of us, I'm asking that as we walk out of this room, we walk out of this room more humble than the way we walked in, more sacrificial than the way we walked in, more loving than the way we walked in, more confident in who you are than the way we walked in, more full of the Holy Spirit, more resolved to live holy, more resolved to love others, more resolved to love you. Lord, I'm praying that we walk out here on fire because of your word. Lord, I'm praying that every single family, uh, friendship, workplace, neighborhood would be impacted by one of us walking into it this week. Lord, I'm asking that we would shake off the, the lies that says we have to be scared of living for you, but that we would be bold in living for you. We would be bold demonstrations of who you are, and we would be confident in who you've made us to be. Lord, we're asking that in this house you would raise up men of God who are bold, who sacrifice themselves to create environments for people to be all that you've called them to be. Lord, we're asking that in this house you would raise up women of God who serve with their lives to nurture growth and life, and the things that you've put inside of people so that people and things and situations can become all that they have been called to be for your glory. Lord, I'm asking that little boys and little girls would be raised up into men and women in this house. Lord, I'm asking that people would be protected to live holy in this house. Lord, I'm asking that this house would be a city on a hill that shines bright to the world around it. Lord, that we would stand in confidence and clarity in a world full of confusion. Lord, I'm praying that you would teach us to walk towards wholeness and bring broken people with us. Lord, we're praying that we would receive and experience the healing and the liberation that comes only in the truth and the design of yours. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity to be together. We receive you this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody shouted, Amen, Amen, Amen. If you need prayer before you leave, come up while the band plays. Uh, If your kids are back there, please go get them uh, so that I don't get in trouble for taking too much time. I hope you have an incredible week in the grace of God. We love you so much. If you have questions about today, uh, email us for our Honest Conversations with our Pastor podcast. We'd love to talk about those this week. We'll see you at Life Group. See you on Wednesday night for worship night. See you next Sunday in church. See you all the time after that. Go ahead and celebrate somebody on your way out of church today and have a great day. Come on up and get prayer if you need it.